hears from God, that, and Adam for that matter, that they're not supposed to eat from that tree. And then somebody comes along. Who is it that comes along and convinces Eve that she should eat from the tree? The serpent does. That's exactly right. And the serpent is in the form of, or the Satan is in the form of that serpent. And the serpent convinces Eve that she needs to eat from that tree. And in fact, he says things to her like, God doesn't want you to eat from that tree because he knows that your eyes are going to be open and you're going to be like he is. Right? It's exactly what happens. Okay? So that story as it unfolds, there are some things that happen with sin and humankind and with God and with Satan and evil. All that takes place. And if we had to use a word besides sin, okay? Now we could use the word sin to describe what Eve did. But what is another word that you could use for what Eve does? Like God gives, God gives human beings a command and what do they do with it? What do they do with that command? Do they keep it? What do you think? Do they keep the command? What's the word that we use for not keeping that command? Anybody at this point? Disobey. Very good, yeah. We disobey the command. That's what happens. God tells us the command and we disobey it. Now here's what I think is interesting. I am not convinced, when I look at Genesis chapter 3, that the whole point is about command-keeping and disobedience. I think that's hugely part of it. But I'm not sure that that's the essence of what's going on there as far as disobedience and sin and how it enters into the picture. In fact, what I would say is that rather than disobedience, it looks more like something like the breaking of relationship. That seems to me to be the problem. In fact, as you read through that text, you see things like Adam and Eve looking at themselves, and they don't just look at themselves and say, we're naked. They look at themselves, and it says they're naked and afraid. All of a sudden, they are fearful. And that's new. That's a new thing. They have not been fearful before God before. Like always before, when they're with God in the garden, it's a good thing. They're relating to God and he is relating to them and there's good relationship between these people that he has created and himself and he clearly loves them and they love him and there's just good things going on. But the moment that they eat from the fruit, first Eve and then Adam, they look at themselves and say, we are naked and they were afraid. And what do they do after they're afraid? They, they try and cover themselves, but then there's something else that they do after they're afraid. What else do they do? They hide. Can you imagine? They said to themselves, maybe if we get behind this bush, God won't see us. Maybe we can hide in the garden and we'll deceive him. He'll come walking, looking for us, and he'll look and say, Adam, Eve, where are you? But we'll be behind the bush and he won't know. I'm not sure that works. But I think it's interesting that they tried to hide from him in addition to their fear. And the reason that human beings try to hide from God because of their fear is because there has been relationship broken between themselves and God. And it just seems to me that the whole story of Adam and Eve in the garden is not so much about disobedience, although that's very much part of it. But the disobedience is a symptom. 
the disobedience is a symptom of a broken relationship. And so Adam and Eve make the mistakes they do, not just because they're just disobedient, but because they also choose to look God in the face and say, we're listening to somebody else. God, we know that you created us, and we know that you love us, and we know that you want the best for us. But in this instant, for a moment, we're going to go in a different direction. We're going to go our own way, and they choose to break that relationship. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been at a place where you chose specifically to do something that you knew was the breaking of relationship. I remember when I was about 16 or so, I had become a Christian, and in becoming a Christian, there were some things about my life that I had stopped doing. You know, pre-Christian, post-Christian life. And even though I was only 16... I'd had enough life at that point that there were some things that I had done wrong. One of the things that I had been involved in was some drinking. And I actually think I was on a path that may have taken me down the road to alcoholism if I had continued that. I had tons of alcoholism in my family, and I may have continued down that path. But when I became a Christian, I stopped doing that. Well, at one point when I was about 16 or so, my sisters were thinking about being baptized, and they ultimately were. And my dad was really wondering about this. He was not of our faith. Not, he wasn't committed to Christ at all as Lord. He had seen me do this, but he wasn't so convinced that my sisters should follow me down this path. And so we had a conversation about this. And he said, well, you know, what do you think of this? What is the deal with, you know, you did this first, you became a Christian, now your sisters are walking down this path. What do you think about this? And I remember I said to him, Dad, let me tell you something. Before I became a Christian, I used to go and I used to sit at the football games with a bottle of wine that I stole out of the grocery store and I'd have underneath my coat and I'd sit and watch the football games on Friday night in the stands and I would sip from this bottle of wine all during the game and I had stolen the wine and I'm getting drunk on the wine during the football games. But now that I've become a Christian, I don't do that anymore. You should have seen the look on his face. It wasn't like he said to himself, oh, that's good, you've stopped that. He was utterly shocked. He, he was shocked. He could not believe that his son, in whom he held such pride, and he really did put me on a, a pedestal, he couldn't believe that I would be sitting in the stands at a football game drinking wine out of a bottle when I was 16 years old. It absolutely floored him. And... At that point, the discussion was no longer about my sisters. And, and my, my stepmother looked at Dad and said, Well, you know, don't, you know, don't be too upset with him about that. That's just something that kids sometimes do. And my dad said this. He said, Not him. I never thought that he would do that. Now, what's amazing to me is that my father was an alcoholic. But I think he had such hopes for his son that his son would not travel down that path and he couldn't conceive of me going down that road at all. And it just totally blew him away. And there was something happened that day. I think it was a, it was a, 
a basic distrust or something was affected within our relationship because of that piece of knowledge. It was never exactly the same. And I think maybe what happened is he realized that if I ever did anything right, it was because of my relationship with Christ and not because of my relationship with him. Boy, it was interesting. And that's what happens when we don't obey. There's not just this loss of obedience or this sense of breaking a commandment. There's a break in relationship that takes place. And that's exactly what happens between ourselves and God, I believe, when we break trust. Now, look at this passage with me. John 14. If you love me, you'll obey what I command, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you're in me, and I'm in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the counselor of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. And there's just three things I want to say about this text. Number one, command keeping is ultimately all about love. And love will find itself exemplified finally and ultimately in obedience. And you can't separate in any way the command-keeping that we say is so crucial to our lives in Jesus from the love for God that we're supposed to possess. And so when someone comes to me and says, Kelly, I've been sinning, I've got this involved in my life, I'm doing something I shouldn't do, it's so clear at that point that the problem is not just that they chose to disobey, they chose to not love. Because when we love God, the text says, when we have relationship with him, when we are one with him and he's with us, command keeping happens. You don't have to worry about whether or not someone's going to keep the command when there is genuine love. And any moment at which the command is not carried out, a lapse occurs in obedience, it's because there has been some kind of lapse in love. Because the two absolutely go hand in hand. It's relationship that we're talking about, not command keeping. Now, do I want Christians to keep God's commands? Of course. Do we want to do what God wants us to do? Absolutely. But why? Not because someone gave us a rule, but because we fell in love with Jesus. You know, all you guys who forget your anniversaries. You know, there's a rule about that. I don't know where it is in the Bible, but it's got to be there somewhere. Thou shalt not forget your anniversary. It's got to be there. And we incessantly break that. 
But what's the problem? Just that you broke the rule? No. Ask your wife what the problem is with that. The problem is not that you forgot. The problem is not that you somehow missed the rule. The problem is, is that if you loved her enough, you wouldn't forget. Isn't that the case? And so love, command keeping, ooh, they go right hand in hand. The second point that I want to make, and you can see this especially uh, like verse 17, verse 16 with the Spirit and the Spirit coming. Why is there this huge discussion right in the, in the middle of talking about commandments and love about the Holy Spirit? Why does the Spirit get such a play in the text here? What causes Jesus to say, and I'll ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, right after he's been talking about loving and keeping commandments? What's the natural process or the natural thinking there that's going on with Christ? It's this. That if we keep commands in response to love, that the Holy Spirit, who is right at the source of relationship between ourselves and God, has to have a place. And that's what the Spirit does. The Spirit fosters the relationship between ourselves and God. And if command-keeping takes place, it's because the Holy Spirit is present in your life, helping you to do what you need to do. In Ephesians 5.18... Paul says, don't get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Why? Because when the life is filled up with the Spirit, the relationship between ourselves and God is what it should be, and at that point, the obedience is going to take place. The Spirit's presence leads to obedience, not because the Spirit just helps you keep rules, but because the Spirit nurtures your relationship with Christ. He lives within you. And he's constantly helping you to be in relationship with God. If God's spirit lives within you, and if he takes up your life dwelling within you, then there's a closeness there between yourself and God, which is powerful and effective and works within us in a significant way. And so the Holy Spirit is so much part of what it means to love God, and therefore command-keeping comes right out of that. And then the third thing is this. There is a oneness with God, entailed in obedience that needs to be ours. There is a oneness with God, entailed in obedience that needs to be ours. And so you, when you don't obey, are not just disobeying, but there is a oneness with God that is not yours at that point. We talk about the Spirit being present, the Spirit enabling us to do right. And we say, if, if we're not doing right, it's because the Spirit wasn't effective at that point in our lives. And it means that there is a oneness between yourself and God that is not present right at that point. So Jesus is calling for a certain kind of spirituality, a holy spirituality that is to be ours. And we have, to, we have to open our hearts and our lives to relationship with God and allow the Spirit to, to enter us in a way that promotes such oneness that obedience just flows out of that relationship that you have with Christ. I tell my wife that I love her Constantly. I tell my children 
constantly how much I love them to the point where sometimes Megan will say, I know, Dad, I know. That's what happens when you tell them so often that you love them. They may almost get tired of it. But when I say almost, I know that they're not really getting tired of it. Because when you show so much that you love them, there is obviously relationship there. So telling someone that you love them and doing it frequently, which is a good idea, isn't ever going to be simply a a command that's kept. Something of the heart gets expressed and there is something real there between you and that person when you say it. So keep the commands, folks. Keep the commands and say to God constantly, I love you. But do it on the basis of the love that you have for him. And your obedience level will not just be a level of obedience. It will be a relationship with God that Christ calls out of us and longs to be in us through the presence of his Holy Spirit. We're going to talk now for the fall about the Holy Spirit. And the whole crux of our discussion is going to fall upon What happens between you and God because of the Holy Spirit living within you? Will you live for him? Will you be in love with him? Because that's what God longs to be present in you, is love for him. That's his priority. And he will do that through the presence of his spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, we love you, and praise you for Jesus. And this morning, we thank you, God, for your spirit who lives within us and who creates loving relationship between ourselves and you. We love you, God. We want our lives to show our love for you through our obedience. And we want God for you to dwell within us with a closeness, with a oneness, that we might walk with you, live in you, experience relationship with you. Father, I do pray for obedience among us, but I pray for a certain kind of obedience. The obedience that flows from hearts that are totally committed in love to you. I pray you'd make that present within all of us. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.